He died and came back. That was the easy part. From number one New York Times bestselling master of suspense, Dean Koontz, comes a breathtaking new novel about the absolute powers of good and evil. Michael Mace, head of security at a top-secret research facility, dies at a tragic event alongside his best friend Shelby. But 24 hours later, he wakes up in a morgue with an extraordinary ability, being as elusive as a ghost. When he sets out to help Shelby's friend and her son, his actions also evoke the wrath of a member of one of the most violent street gangs in Los Angeles. But an even greater threat is descending. And if Michael dies twice, he will not live a third time. Don't miss After Death, the powerful new novel from best-selling author Dean Koontz. Learn more at Amazon.com slash After Death. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Sukadik, Sukadik, Sukadik. All right, quiet down. Now I call to order the fraternal order of Sukadik. Now, I know we've all been through a lot together throughout the years. I mean, camp retreats, chapstick recalls. Hell, I even remember when that serial killer was after us there for a minute. Whatever happened to him? Uh, anyway, we have some devastating news. Sukadik is broke. It's true. Duke seeking just doesn't pay the way it used to. Now, all is not lost, however. We just need to come up with a way to raise some more money. Ooh, what about a sexy car wash? Andrew, no. There, there's already a drought going on, and Sukadik is an environmentally conscious fraternal order. Uh, sexy bake sale? Too many gluten-free people, and not to mention all of our brothers observing keto this time of year. It would be sacrilegious. Well, that's all I got. What, what, do, we, what do we do now? We will uh, just have to do what we always do. What's, what's that? I shan't say it out loud, because one of the many tenets of our brotherhood is secrecy. Follow me. It's episode 82. Fraternities are terrifying. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message to save America, stop socialism, and stop China. Stay alive, we honor thee from life to death. Doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. What do we want? Justice! What do we want it? I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Sometimes that is better. Good morning. Noah Domingo's blood alcohol level was more than four times the legal limit. The UC Irvine freshman was found unresponsive in the house behind me after a party in January. His father says Noah was taking part in a dangerous and longstanding fraternity ritual. We're back. It's episode 82 of Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. My name is Andrew. And my name is Maddie. 
And this is the podcast where we talk about all things horror, horror in real life and horror in the movies. Now, we know we've been on a little bit of a break through the month of August, so we appreciate everyone sticking with us for our first episode of September and the official kickoff to what is it, Maddie? Spooky season. That's right. We're here to entertain your ears all the way through the holidays with all things horror. And by holidays, I do mean Halloween. (laughs) Andrew, I will say that I saw somebody on Twitter last month say it was already spooky season. And I get it. We all want it. Everyone is looking forward to it. It's a good thing. It's in our heads. You got to wait. It's a special time of year. It's when the weather starts to change. It's when you start to feel it in your bones. Do you know what I mean? Like... You just know that you're in spooky season. Yeah, I feel like Labor Day is kind of like the um, unofficial official holiday kickoff of the spooky season. Yeah. So, well, Labor Day for America. Labor Day here is in May. <laughs> oh, that's different. Um, yeah, look, it's exciting. And um, like Andrew said, we're back from our little hiatus. Um, look, even your podcasters need a little bit of a break, you know? So it was nice to have a break. Um, Andrew and I got to travel to, oh, I, I live here, of course, but Andrew flew all the way over from America to Europe. Uh, we were in Italy together. That was a lot of fun. You guys went to Rome. Uh, you, you went, we were in Rome. You went to Greece after we were done with Rome. Um, I was in Venice for about a week. It was a nice time. Wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I think everyone deserves a little bit of a break. And I think that August is the perfect time to take it. Um, And I encourage any of our creators out there to give themselves that leeway to take a little bit of a break and recharge those batteries. Because I don't know about you, but I feel much more refreshed and ready and raring to go to take on these horrors in the movies and in real life. Oh, yeah. And let's go ahead and get started with our certified terrifying corner. And Andrew, we have three things for this recording. Um, I'm going to start out horror doesn't stop as when when we do (laughs) listen, as, as we said, when we started this podcast, we will never have a shortage of content, right? Um, so look, uh, three things. I'm going to start with one from, um, uh, from the music industry. Uh, you're familiar with the band arcade fire. I would imagine, um, arcade fire is a band that's been around for a good long while. I've been a fan pretty much since the beginning, um, I've seen a lot of their shows, oh, have always had a great time, have always, also always really respected this band, um, which is why the news that came out last week um, was pretty difficult to hear. Um, Arcade Fire actually started its latest tour in Dublin, uh, where I live, and uh, that was Wednesday nights this past week. We're recording on Saturday, September 3rd right now. Um, and, uh, news came out from Pitchfork and from, from Rolling Stone that the lead singer, Wynn Butler was being accused of some sexual misconduct from four different women. The stories that they shared were all pretty bad. And, uh, what was even worse was the dude's responses to it. He said some really stupid shit, um, that was I- indicative of somebody who is, um, not in the right frame of mind. That's for damn sure. Um, so it's uh, it's been a bit of a rock in the in the music world for people who you know love really great shows and great bands and all the rest of it. Uh, it was a tough one. It actually was a lot more emotional for me than I thought it would be. Um, but you know, listen, as soon as I heard the news and and I read this dude's responses, the most important thing to me is that those women are okay and that they're taken care of. Um, and Arcade Fire, quite frankly, can go fuck itself. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate. And we'll hear in a lot of our coverage today that sometimes power corrupts, and that's really unfortunate. Yeah, yeah it's really sad. Um, also, at the end of his uh, of the uh, show in Dublin, um, apparently Wynn Butler came out and sang Stand By Me, which is uh, just fucking weird. Also, Feist, one of my favorite artists, dropped from the tour, so we're really glad to hear that. So um, were they the... So was Arcade Fire the headliner and Feist was the opener? Or correct. Like, yeah. Okay, Feist, is, Feist is the support. Feist and Arcade Fire are actually both uh, Canadian bands. So it, it made a lot of sense for for Feist to open up for them because they just they run in the same circles, basically. Got it. Okay. Um, but yeah, when, when, when Feist dropped, I was like, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Feist is also one of my very, very favorite artists. Yeah, I'm um, not as entrenched in that world. So interesting yeah. to hear... Um, that it doesn't just happen in the entertainment world as far as yeah. like movies and TV, but this has bled now into the music, which is not surprising, but it's just unfortunate. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You know, not not to string this on too long, but what's also unfortunate is the response from a lot of different fans. And, um, the, uh, you know, I, I live in Ireland, as obviously, Andrew, you know, but for new listeners, here is where I live. And um, I, I'm on Twitter frequently, and I'll comment on any number of things on any given day. And so, of course, I commented about this. And um, it was actually funny to like watch these like Irish dudes who are like clearly just trolling to like fuck around, who are like arcade fire stands, like just go off on everybody who was critical. So fucking weird. It was a very very strange day. Um, also, uh, two things that have to do with uh, transphobia. Uh, and both in schools. I'm going to start with one in Wisconsin first. So the Wisconsin school board has banned uh, has banned pride flags and listing pronouns in schools. Uh, they've banned teachers and staff from displaying flags, political or religious messages, Black Lives Matter signs, and we back the badge signs. Now, what's interesting is if you you know if you heard what I just said there, it's uh, it's sort of banning a little bit of everything from both sides, right? Um, right. So, that's an interesting approach. It's maybe a little bit different than, um, you know, don't say gay or whatever that was down, down in Florida, for example. Um, this is, uh, I don't know, you know, it's, uh, I, I guess they're doing it on all sides. At least there's at least a little bit of light in the, in the tunnel. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, <laughs> I feel this is just my personal feeling. So, you know, obviously this is not uh, indicative of of your response or whatever, but um, I feel like this is just, we really wanted to get rid of the gay pride flags and not talk about gay, but we have to put something else in there to make it sound like we're being fair. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Look, I, I get it. It's, um, uh, I, I think that, um, people should be able to do what they need to do. And that, that includes, you know, young people as well. They're not like, you know, robots, they're actual human beings who have to learn and have to, you know, learn from both mistakes and from triumphs. Yeah. And this is like, school is supposed to be a, a place of learning and a place of understanding and a place where you can speak up and, um, learn from what you're talking about. Like if, if people don't have a safe haven away from their home where they may be not welcome or don't feel comfortable talking with their family about certain issues. School is like the next best thing to have an outlet for outside listeners and outside understanding. And so to completely do away with any and all opinions in school, it just, 
it makes for a very sterile environment that I don't think that school was meant to be. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of talking myself in a circle here, but it just, it feels like we're, I don't know. It's really strange because I do want to silence certain voices that are saying bad things, but I also want people to be able to speak their mind and understand opinions and try to learn from them. So it's, it's a weird give and take. So I think exactly what you were saying earlier, it's a little bit of light and a little bit of dark all at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it is, it's definitely not, not, not a cut and dried thing. Uh, You know, I, I, if you, if you have one, you, you gotta have the other, which sucks about just like the, the, the notion of speech in general, um, and I should say you don't you don't have to have them both, but you have to allow the space for them um, because people are going to believe what they're going to believe, whether they're you know right or not. It's it's not that that's not really part of it. They're, young people grow up in different environments. You know, when yeah. I grew up, I grew up in, in a conservative family for the most part. You know, my my parents were I, I would classify them as Reagan Republicans, although they really shouldn't have been because they didn't make enough money to be. Um, and so, you know, we had conservative views. And because I was a kid who didn't know any better, so did I. And so, you know, when I was at school, I was saying dumb shit now that like if I could go back as an adult and slap myself in the face, I probably would. It's a good thing that social media didn't exist then. But, you know, like you said, opinions are there so that you they can be challenged. And so, you know, thankfully, I had enough really good friends who challenged me enough and showed me different ways of life um, that I was able to come out of whatever weirdness I was in. And the same was true in college for me, too. You have to learn. And that this was a, a you know, a way for me to learn. So, look, I, I think that you're right. We, we, we need to provide more opportunities for children to actually learn and not mm-hmm. just, um, you know, I not just know, memorize, not just memorize. I, th- I think that's a good way to put it. Um, over here in Ireland, uh, transphobia is transphobia in this part of the world in particular is fucking weird. And uh, it's not just Ireland, it's Ireland, it's the UK and it's the continent. Um, and people here are just fucking weird about it. It's, it's very, it's very strange. It's different from America. And I can't quite give you like a, a, a just like one little pulse on it, but um, here's, here's one little blip that you can, you can listen into. Um, so over here, uh, transphobia keeps rearing its ugly head this time with a douchebag named Enoch Burke or Enoch Burke. Um, Enoch Burke is a school teacher in West Meath, um, who was arrested, uh, for breaking an injunction. Now an injunction was placed against him by the high court in Ireland, um, because there was a kindergartner, um, who uh, wanted to be referred to with pronouns of they and them. Uh, This teacher, Enoch Burke, refused to do that. And so the school uh, censured him, basically, because it's a a good school that stands up for transgender kids, which is awesome. Um, He had an injunction that he was not allowed to come back to the school to teach um, until an investigation took place, until disciplinary procedures, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he decided that he just wasn't going to follow the rules and show up at school. Um, so there was like a like an anniversary event for this this old school, which is part of the Church of Ireland, and he showed up and he got arrested. Now, it's being spun by the right wing here that, oh, because he won't use the pronouns this little kid wants, that's why he's being arrested. Actually, no assholes. He's being arrested because the court said you can't come onto the school grounds and he broke the law. Um, So, you know, it's just one more little blip here of how trans people are being dehumanized no matter what age they are. It's really sickening 
And it's just so tiring. It's just so incredibly tiring in this world where we have so many problems to begin with and people that are trans just want, no matter what age they are, once again, they just want to be like called what they want to be called and they just want to be viewed as human. And you have these assholes like Enoch Burke who just refuse to do that. And I can't imagine being such a gigantic pile of shit when you wake up every morning that you go, you know what? I'm just going to not do what trans people want today. That sounds like a great agenda for the day. Yeah, I think what you're going to run into is that I and I can I can only surmise, but um, I think that Europe is probably five years back as far as work that has been done for the trans community. Um, And we'll see how that kind of shakes out. But that's unfortunate that, you know, go back to our June episode, our pride episode this year, and you can learn all about our, our, our trans family and how we feel about that. And 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 everything but that's really unfortunate and i hope yeah. that guy never teaches again <laughs> yeah you know what's what's crazy about it is you know I, I think that you're right i think that europe is behind on on trans issues but it's also ahead on gay issues right yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the first country in the world to legalize gay marriage by popular vote was ireland it was this place right here and so it's just and and also i should say it's the first place to legalize abortion by by popular vote so you have this weird dynamic of like uh, of of people who really think they're being very progressive, but then leaving these other parts behind. It's just, ah, it's, it's so strange. I think it's just because they haven't been um, exposed face to face with it. You know Bingo. what I mean? It's That's just it. It's like what we say all the time. Like you never know how to support someone or something unless it somehow touches your life or somehow, um, you know, invades your space. And that's the only way you're going to truly confront it and truly understand where you're at with those issues, whether that's abortion, whether that's death penalty, whether that's gay rights, whether that's anything, until you're faced with those issues from a personal standpoint. And by personal, I mean somebody, your friends, your family, someone close to you. I don't think you can truly make an opinion. If I'm yeah. being totally honest, I totally agree with you. And I, I think that that's what's going to continue to change things is uh, greater visibility and greater awareness of people around us. Now, listen, we've come back from hiatus to depress you, and we've succeeded with this <laughs> certified terrifying corner for the first half of September. Now, let's get on with the show. So, Andrew, we are talking about. Uh, fraternities today. Um, and this is going to be, you know, look, it's both, uh, I don't know, you know, there's some funny stuff in here and there's also some sad stuff and there's some fucked up stuff in here. One yeah. thing we are not talking about today, folks, is sororities. So I don't know, maybe Andrew will do just like just a sorority episode sometime. Maybe. Oh yeah. I, I think it's already, I think next year, right around this time when everyone's going back to school, we could do another sorority episode. Yeah. So listen, we've, we've got a couple great movies, uh, Hell Night and Night of the Creeps, both of which I think we we both really enjoyed for, for this particular episode. So we'll talk about those soon, but let's go ahead and start talking about some of the crazy shit that we learned about fraternities while researching this episode. Now, Andrew, you've got um, a little bit about the first fraternity in North America and some common elements of fraternities. Why don't we start with those? And then I've got, um, I have a, a really fun list, Andrew. It's called the, <laughs> the 15 worst hazing deaths um, from ranker.com. I'll take us through that. And then you've got a pretty sad story that you're going to share with us, I believe. 
Yeah, and it's and it's really recent too. It's from 2017. So yeah, it's I remember that's... that one. That was a sad one. God. So yeah. So the, literally the first fraternity in North America. So fraternities in general, you know, kind of secret societies, clubs go back way further than this. But yeah. the first fraternity in North America to incorporate um, kind of most of the the elements of modern fraternity was Phi Beta Kappa, which was founded at the College of William and Mary in 1775. I think we talked a little bit about them in our secret societies episode mm-hmm. yeah um but that's kind of the the origin of fraternities in general that was a good um, episode by the way if you have not listened to that episode go back and listen to that one one of my plus favorites the, plus the skulls is just sexy so oh, fuck yeah <laughs> come on please um the founding of phi beta kappa followed the earlier establishment of two other secret societies which i do believe one of those was the skulls but i'm not going to quote myself on that yeah sure um and then in 1779, Phi Beta Kappa expanded to include chapters at Harvard and Yale. And by the 19th century, the organization transformed itself into a scholastic honor society and abandoned secrecy. Ah. So it kind of um, was still uh, seen as kind of a secret society upon its uh, first creation. Now, there are five common elements to a fraternity as we know it. Obviously, uh, in modern times, things are constantly changing and constantly evolving. But these were the original common elements of a typical collegiate fraternity. Number one, um, secrecy. I think we all know why. <laughs> but, yep. Um, number two, uh, single-sex membership was very important to these. Um, number three, the selection of new members is on the basis of a two-part vetting and probationary process known as rushing and pledging. Anyone that's been through the process kind of knows all about that. Number four, ownership and occupancy of a residential property where undergraduate members live. And then finally, number five, a set of complex identification symbols that may include Greek letters, armorial achievements, ciphers, badges, grips, hand signs, passwords, flowers, and colors. So it's kind of its own little like club. Now, um, I will tell you uh, that I reached out to uh, one of my one of my old friends who was the president of a fraternity on um, my campus at Grand Valley State University. Um, He was a part of Sigma Pi. Well, we kind of had an on-again, off-again relationship throughout colleges. Kind of weird, but whatever. Uh Um, And uh, I kind of reached out to him just to say like, hey, what was your experience? Because I knew that at Grand Valley, and I'm sure you can speak to IU in a second here, Mm -hmm. um, but at, at Grand Valley, Greek system was not like a huge deal. Like it was not, it was kind of just like, it was just there. It was kind of more like a club than rather than like a a big society. And um, what, what my friend told me, and he was the president for three years, um, and on Grand, it was funny because on the Grand Valley campus, this this uh, Greek system was kind of known as like the gay frat because <laughs> sure. it's like yeah. well, um, all the gay. Guys. They actually tried to recruit me at one point, but I had no time for that. Um, but uh, he said he told me that you know it was kind of like the perfect thing for him because he was a little more introverted and it gave him a chance to huh. you know talk with people and kind of be included in a group by proxy and that it gave him a lot of opportunity. And I think that that is what, I think that's what the antithesis of fraternities is, is kind of a opportunity to um, get to know people. And then you all help each other out, you know, going forward, like whether that's with jobs or with family or with money or with help. I think that that's the antithesis, but as we all know, well, antithesis (laughs) or you, or you mean like, that's like, 
you mean that that's like like what they're like really like that that that's like their ideal state exactly it's kind of like what it's kind of like what i figure like religion is like religion at its very core is meant to be good it's meant okay. to lift people up it's meant to help each other but when we see kind of everything that you're going to mention on your list and then my yeah, stories sure. a lot of times this power especially at such a young age corrupts sometimes yeah so i i, I did i did want to just share his story really quick just yeah, because, sure but a lot of what we're going to talk about is very horrifying and very awful but i do think that at the very core of what they're trying to do there is some good there in trying to lift people up up that maybe wouldn't have the chance or don't have the social uh, economics, the social uh, aptitude to okay. really do it for themselves. So I, I just wanted to share that really quick. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that um, I think that what fraternities often end up doing is becoming their own antithesis, right? They, they become yeah. the opposite of what they're really meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, it's unfortunate because, you know, I, I was, I was really thinking about the, you know, this today, of course, we you know, we're recording. So naturally I thought about it, but, um, you know, it, when it comes down to it, it's, it's young people who just want to find a place to belong. Yeah. And, you know, for, for me at, at, at Indiana university, um, the, uh, the, the pride and joy of the Midwest, uh, a really beautiful place to go to school and somewhere that I'm really proud that I went to school there. Um, I, I was part of the, the theater department. And so I didn't have a need for that. You know, I, what, by the time that I got to school, my brother was there. Um, my sister had already been there. I already had friends from high school that were sort of well-established there in the theater department. So, you know, for me, I didn't have to go to school and feel alone, you know, on this yeah, really makes sense. big, huge campus. And IU does have a very big campus. There's a lot of students. It's a, it's a big 10 school. It's, it's huge. Um, I didn't have to feel lost. I can imagine, um, you know, both in sororities and fraternities, uh, you know, thinking about those, that there are many young women and young men um, who do feel incredibly lost and they don't know where to go. And, you know, look, they want to have fun. They want to party. They want to have a good time. They want to have sex. They want to meet people. The, you know, all the stuff that people just want. They're, 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 there's something really lovely about that, like that this is a place where they can go and figure those things out. I, I think that unfortunately, you know, it's you, you there. there's just not enough engagement with young people when it comes to substance abuse and and how your body can truly be harmed and how you can harm other people even and where you, your brain is at yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah and how you can really harm other people even if you think you're not and you know we we find all these young people ending up in just terrible situations you know where they're either the perpetrator or they're the victim but they're doing something really really awful and it's all fun and games until literally someone's dead or until right. someone gets raped or until someone gets sexually assaulted or until, you know, God knows what else. It's just, a, it's a really sad thing um, because at the end, you know, all the stories that we're going to tell today, they're all about people that are like under the age of 21, you know, that they barely had a chance to like live. And so they just, ah, yeah, I, I could go on and on and on, but blah, 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 blah. This show can be depressing sometimes. Here we are again. Welcome back. Um, so listen, I want to talk a little bit about, a little bit about, I'm going to tell you about 15 different fucking deaths. 
Um, so the first one, Andrew. Oh, no, they're all dead. <laughs> they're all dead. Spoiler alert. Every one of these people is dead. Um, but this actually goes I, – I chose this list because it goes back pretty far. It goes back all the way to 1873. So I thought that might be kind of interesting. Um, and you can find this list on Ranker.com. Um, the first one here is about Mortimer Leggett. Mortimer oh, that's Leggett, an old one. <laughs> yeah. Mortimer Leggett was blindfolded and fell into a gorge. This was from a hazing incident. Um, so Mortimer Leggett, he's the son of a famous war, uh, civil war general, actually, um, one of the first known hazing deaths in the U S he pledged Kappa alpha during his first semester at Cornell. Cornell is in Ithaca, New York. If you're not sure where that is, um, one night as part of the initiation ceremony, he was blindfolded, taken out into the woods, supposed to make his way back to the chapter house in Ithaca. And while he was out there, uh, per the custom, he met other members of the fraternity who were removed, who then removed his blind fold uh three of them started down a slope uh looking for the nearest road according to the cornell daily sun what they did not realize was that at the bottom of the slope was not a road but a 37 foot cliff there was not a warning as they plunged over mortimer died on the hard packed rock-like clay at the foot of the cliff the other two boys were badly hurt rest in peace mortimer so so he wasn't blindfolded Girl, I don't know, but something happened here. But listen, it was it was all part of hazing. Anyways, the next one here is about a man named Wilkins Ruskins. What a name. Um, this is from 1892. Uh, also blindfolded and ran into a sharp <laughs> ran into a sharp pole. It's not funny. Um, it's not funny. Uh, he died five days later. When you think about the movies we're going to review later, it's a little funny. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So Wilkins Ruskins pledged Delta Kappa Epsilon at Yale. As part of the initiation, Ruskins was blindfolded and told to run towards a local cafe. Along the way, he ran into a sharp pole, injuring his abdomen. The injury wasn't thought to be serious, but five days later, he died of peritonitis, an inflammation of the tissue that holds in your abdomen abdominal organs rest in peace Wilkins God, Ruskins. what an awful way to die yeah another one about Stuart Pearson Stuart Pearson laid down on train tracks and was hit by an unscheduled train God what terrible luck at Kenyon College in Gambier Ohio Stuart Pearson pledged Delta Kappa Epsilon another DKE uh in 1905 and one night he as part of hazing he laid down on the train tracks uh as part of the uh, the frat tradition uh, an initiation. According to his friends, he got tired and fell asleep on the tracks. The coroner, however, he be laying there. <laughs> listen, if you're drunk enough, you'll sleep anywhere, as I, as you know, with me. Um, the coroner, however, found that Pearson's wrist and ankle were almost completely dislocated, indicating Ouch. that he had been tied to the tracks. So oh. when a train, yep. So that when a train went that wasn't on the schedule started toward Pearson, he tried unsecessfully to escape its path. God, it reminds terrifying. me that I have not watched uh, Fried Green Tomatoes in a while. <sighs> oh, what a great movie. Oh, my God. So good. Uh, Nolte McElroy. God, how about these names? Nolte McElroy. They was, don't oh, name them like they used to. You yeah, know? <laughs> right. Uh, he was electrocuted as he climbed over a charged metal fence in wet pajamas. What the fuck? Why? Uh, Why? A, fr <laughs> a freshman football player at the University of Texas in oh, Austin. A freshman. This explains uh, Nolte McElroy decided to join yet again Delta Kappa Epsilon. I think Shut him down. Too many. Boy, yeah, I think you boys got some problems. Uh, as part of initiation in 1928, pledges had to crawl over a set of bed springs that had been wired with street lines. 
Uh, he was wearing wet pajamas at the time, and he was electrocuted. He fainted and died a short time later. Now, Robert Perry, the first normal name we've had so far, uh, was covered in flammable materials and shocked. He then caught on fire. Of course he did. Oh, my God. Uh, is this the at, same incident? No, this is different. At oh, St. Louis University in 1945, Robert Perry joined pi, uh, excuse me, Phi Beta Pi fraternity for his initiation ritual. He was stripped naked, covered in flammable liquid. According to records, he went up in flames and died when he was forced to lay naked on a table and receive shocks to his skin. Oh my apparently, God, you guys, yeah, come on. <laughs> seriously, apparently one of the sparks from the shock set him on fire. Uh, Richard Swanson choked on oil-soaked liver that his brothers Blech. made him eat. In 1959, at the University of Southern California, 21-year-old Richard Swanson joined Kappa Sigma. The 11 pledges gathered for initiation and were forced to do push-ups. After that, they were told to eat pieces of oil-soaked raw liver without chewing. When Swanson tried to swallow his piece, he choked. His frat brothers told authorities that he had a, quote-unquote, nervous spasm. William Flowers dug his own grave in sand and then couldn't get back out. This is in 1974. He was digging a grave, a symbolic grave, as part of his initiation to Zeta Beta Tau at Monmouth College in New Jersey. He fell in and was unable to escape as the walls of the grave caved in around him. I want you to imagine that crazy death. Now, James Lenahan, this is one right up my alley. Uh, Let's let's go back to Italy, Andrew. James Lenahan died from too much wine and spaghetti. (laughs) I, I can't even... Me too, girl. Me too. Uh, I can barely even do it. Uh, in 1984, at American International College, AIC, uh, James Lenahan pledged Zeta Chi. Part of his initiation, he took part in the spaghetti ritual, where pledges ate bowls of spaghetti and drank wine until they vomited and then kept eating and drinking. This is also what Andrew and I did in Italy. We just didn't tell you that. During the ritual, he lost control of his bowels and his frat brothers put him in the bathtub where he fell asleep and died. The medical examiner (laughs) determined it was alcohol poisoning. His blood alcohol level, get ready for this, was 0.48. That's like... That's like five times the like the like the the legal alcohol limit in America. It's absolutely insane. Uh, Joel Harris died after being kicked, punched, and slapped too many times at Morehouse College in Atlanta. I think that speaks for itself. Michael Davis was beaten by his brothers and taken home, where he died of a bleeding brain in 1994 at Southeast Missouri State. Adrian Heidman died from too much alcohol while his brothers watched strippers. Yeah, it's in 2000 at California State University. Matthew Carrington died of water poisoning and hypothermia at Chico State University in California in 2005. Matthew Carrington joined Kai Tao. He underwent a humiliating initiation ritual that included going to the basement of the frat house where no one could hear you scream to do calisthenics and have freezing water dumped on him while fans blew cold air. For five hours, he wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom and had to ask to wet himself. After the exercise session was over, he was forced to chug a gallon of water. He died of water intox and hypothermia. Chun Michael Dang, he died during the glass ceiling. Uh, and this is an initiation for Pi Delta Psi at Baruch University in New York City. Uh, Chun took part in the glass ceiling. 
he was blindfolded and was forced to wear a backpack carrying 20 pounds of sand while on a fraternity retreat in the Poconos. Uh, he was then pushed and fell at one point, hitting his head and losing consciousness. He didn't get medical assistance for two hours and died two days later from brain trauma. Four of the guys responsible pleaded guilty to voluntary homicide. Um, there's actually a 15th story, but believe it or not, Andrew, the 15th story was Tim Piazza. So I'm going to leave that for you. Um, but what I'll say at the end of those, you know, we did laugh a little bit, but once again, all those, they were all, they were barely adults. Listen, I I know we're probably going to say the same thing when we do sororities, but right now all I can think of is boys are so stupid. (laughs) Just, just dumb. And, and you know, it, it makes you wonder like at what point in the fun do people choose to be cruel and, and why do they make the choice? It's, it's a conscious decision to be cruel to people. It's not innate, you know, like na- nature is not cruel. Nature is just nature. You know, you, you're going to survive however you can. These are not choices of survival. These are choices of cruelty of, you know, people making you do something that they know is going to hurt you or kicking you or pushing you or humiliating you or, you know, God knows what else. What makes you choose to do that? Why? Why? I, I, I wish we knew the answer because maybe we could stop it in the future, but we don't. Yeah, that's, uh, well, power corrupts. So <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah, th- thank you for taking us through those awful stories. Uh, I My heart goes out to all those families that had to suffer through those things. But Even once to the again, family of, of Mortimer Leggett way back when. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so until uh, before we get into the death of Tim Piazza, which you had alluded to, I did want to talk about one other incident that I found that is interesting because of kind of how it came to light. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but this is called the Koi incident. I have not heard of this. Uh, my sources are the San Francisco Gate. Um, is basically written by this guy named Alan Gathright from the uh, Chronicle staff writ- writers um, in 2003. So this comes to us from the Delta Omega Chi Chai Chi. I think it's Chi, Chi, right? Yeah, Chi. Um, in uh, in in San Francisco in the 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 Bay community, um, this is an uh, an off campus fraternity, which I'm not really familiar on how that all works. I'm I'm guessing they have like their own uh, governance, um, but it's not to be confused with the actual school, which was Porter College. Okay, um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of that before? An off campus fraternity? Yeah, I mean it makes sense. They, it's it, it would be an organization that's outside of 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 like the Greek um, of the Greek uh, what's the word I'm looking for like governance like the, or- the, the Greek organization that 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 would provide governance over uh, fraternities and sororities at schools because they do have to follow very particular rules, obviously. Um, so I mean, what it sounds like is that this is just one that's just like. It's just a house where a bunch of guys lived, and they called it a fraternity, yeah. basically. Yeah. So uh, two students, pledges at the time uh, by the names of Casey Loop and Matthew Cox, uh, they were challenged with stealing a koi fish. Um, the koi fish was kind of a uh, mascot for Porter College. It was 15 years old, and it was given to them, given to the college by uh, a, a graduate of, of the college. Um, and it was very beloved to the students. They uh, there were lots of stories on this campus of them like going up to it and feeding it treats daily. Like it was very social fish. You know, koi 
if if you don't know, koi's can live like to about twenty five, so they're actually very sustainable fish, very normal to keep as pets. Um, this koi uh, named Goldie was about fifteen years old at the time. Uh, they stole the koi from its its place and were challenged with grilling and eating it. Oh God, how dumb! Um, Jesus. The weird the weird thing about this is that. If it weren't for MTV of all places, they may have gotten away with it. MTV, you say? Yes. At the time, MTV was following Delta Omega Chi on the uh, the MTV TV show Fraternity Life. Uh, oh kind of an off off spin of True Life, if you remember that show. Uh, where they followed different fraternities. And this actually was filmed. The entire thing was filmed because MTV was on the scene at the time. Now, MTV went, did come back and say that they had no um, involvement in this. This was not producers you know, producing. This was they were just there. They were filming. Um, they never saw the light, the light of day, the footage. But um, the Santa Cruz uh, County Superior Court uh, they did subpoena the tapes, and it was actually used to convict these two students because, in in one um in one thing that I was reading, uh, basically a girl said that she woke up uh, from this from this incident from this party, and was like, "Oh man, what happened last night?" And somebody came into her room and basically said, "Like, hey, if anybody calls you about a fish, you don't say anything." And that was like, "Wait, what happened?" And then all this started just spiraling down and spiraling down. Now, uh, thankfully, these two were convicted. Uh, they were they got two hundred hours and three hundred hours of community service, respectively. Um, the hours were to be served working either the county animal shelter or the Long Marine Laboratory, which is an institute for raising ornamental koi. Um, they also had to attend Alcoholics Anonymous, and they had to pay $500 in restitution each to UCSC, so the, uh, the Superior Court, and, to, and they had to send a written apology to the university professor who actually donated the fish. Wow. So, I mean, they got served some stuff, but I just was like, why would you do this? This is yeah. so... And then to think you can, and then to think you can get away with it as like film cameras are following you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, how how old were they? Uh, I mean, I think they were. I mean, the college age. So I'm guessing, and they were pledging. So I'm guessing like 1920. You know, I mean, that's 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 the that that's your answer. You know, I mean, it's just they're just young and fucking stupid, and it, you know, it doesn't justify it, of course, but just fucking. If if we don't look at these things and go, God, people are not really all that smart until they're about twenty five. I don't know what else to say. My God, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, let's let's end our our horror in real life with uh, the story of Tim Piazza. This comes to us from Penn State. My sources were Wikipedia and the USA Today article that was written about this because this actually did get a lot of attention back in twenty seventeen yeah. when it happened. Um, so Piazza at the time was nineteen years old. He was a sophomore in engineering at Penn. Pennsylvania State University, um, and he was a pledge to the Beta Theta Pi fraternity at the university. On February 2nd of 2017, he was undergoing hazing activities known as the gauntlet, in quotation marks, um, which required each pledge to drink from a bottle of vodka, drink a beer, and finally drink from a bag of wine. Um, it later revealed that Piazza also was taking antidepressants, which contributed to kind of the over inebriation of, 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 this, of this young man. Um, 
act and and in all actuality the fraternity was supposed to be alcohol free because it was under a suspension which was taken place in 2009 so almost 10 years later they were violating this kind of alcohol free suspension um we can talk a little bit more about the guy who was supposed to be overseeing all this later but um kind of an asshole in his own right um, so in his state of intoxication, he actually fell on the basement stairs. Um, kind of not surprising. I mean, this these kind of accidents, what I will say about this specific act, this specific incident, these kind of accidents happen when you're inebriated. We get it. But it's because of the way that the people around him reacted is really why all of this happened to him yeah sure um so he fell in the basement stairs of the house and he was knocked unconscious uh his brothers carried him to a couch where surveillance cameras because this house actually had surveillance um captured an uncon a conspicuous bruise that bloomed on the left and his left abdomen which later we would find out was a uh hemorrhaged spleen um um this was shown uh basically one of the alcohol-fueled rush events during the week, I think that his spleen was just out of control and literally just burst um, because of everything that he had gone through the entire week. Um, uh, Jonah Newman, Lars Kenyon, and Edward Gilmartin colluded in prohibiting witnesses from calling 911. Newman actually threw someone up against the wall. Gilmartin labeled witnesses as crazy and insane. Wilson wow. Kenyon downplayed the concerns of witnesses in the group chats. So everyone was talking about it, it it's that classic like you know we watched house on sorority row not too yeah, long ago but sure. it's that classic like if we call the cops or you know i know what you did last summer any of these any of these things where like if we call the cops we're going to be implicated and we're going to all go to jail so sure. what, what else can we do um so sometime later piazza regained consciousness and actually rolled off the couch three brothers picked him up and placed him back um, security footage shows them poking Piazza in the face to determine if he was okay, but he remained unconscious and unresponsive. Guessing all of these people are also inebriated at the time, so they don't know what yeah, they're doing. Sure. Um, Cordell Davis, a newly initiated fraternity chapter member, actually attempted to render aid to Piazza, encouraging fraternity members to call 911 at the time and get an ambulance to the house, but he was shoved up against the wall and his attempts were ignored. Wow. Um, at around 3.30 a.m. on February 3rd of 2017, Piazza tried to get up, but once again, um, when he reached a standing position, he fell backwards. He continued to stand up repeatedly only to fall back down. I'm guessing at 3.30 a.m., a lot of people are either passed out or asleep, so yeah, he's sure. probably doing this under nobody's supervision. Um, once he was finally able to maintain his balance, he staggered towards the lobby area of the house, but fell again head first into an iron railing and landed on the stone floor, uh, likely incurring serious head trauma. Um, he actually got up and tried to reach the front door, but fell head first into it, knocking himself unconscious again. So uh, this kid is just beyond wasted yeah, sure. and nobody is trying to help him. Um, he later tried to once more to ascend the basement stairs and <clears throat> was missing until several of his fraternity brothers discovered him several hours later behind the bar in the basement, cold and breathing rapidly. Um, it was at this point that he was carried upstairs. After several minutes of debating on what the next step should be, the conclusion was made that Piazza's injuries were indeed serious. Oh, you don't think at this yeah, time, right. guys? <laughs> um, and that he would require medical attention. My guess is that these guys are finally starting to sober up and understand that this is a lot more serious than what they maybe thought before. Um, because they're probably all 19 and 20 and don't yeah, haven't ever sure. encountered any <laughs> of tragedy before. Um, <clears throat> before emergency assistance arrived, the brothers wiped blood from his face and attempted to dress him in an effort to warm him. Um, so was he naked? I don't know. That's a weird. 
Yeah. That's weird. Or maybe, maybe they just like put more clothes on him or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, really strange, but um, they so uh, upon arrival to the Penn State Milton S. Hershey Medical Center, um, he basically was rushed into surgery where it was discovered that obviously he had a ruptured spleen and yeah. a class four hemorrhagic shock. So basically, he was bleeding from the inside out, um, and his brain had swollen to the point where roughly half of his skull had to be removed just to relieve the pressure. Oh my god! Um, the surgeons attempting to save his life deemed the injuries just likely to be non-recoverable, and he was pronounced dead on the morning of February 4th. So this all took place within basically 48 hours. Um, he had he had estimated, so this is only an estimation because obviously he had um, had that kind of 12-hour sustained injury area, but he is estimated to have a blood alcohol content of nearly 0. 0.40. Uh, which for most of you will never even see a 0.25 in yeah, your life sure unless you're unless you're blacking out um so um uh, basically what happened with all of this is 18 people were named and charged directly in some way shape or form from reckless endangerment to hazing to tampering of evidence and deleting of security footage um including the live-in advisor tim bream the penn state nittany lions football head athletic trainer wow. oh my god um, uh, and he actually never was subpoenaed because, um, I, I he, he lost his license for basically a year and that was his, uh, his penalty because he actually was charged or not charged. He was, um, from the fraternity brothers. They basically said he deleted footage that showed what happened. Um, so there's that. You know, um, it's, it's, it's sad in so many, just for so many reasons. It's so it's sad, you know, like you, you, you look at pictures of these people too, because a lot of these stories have like photos of, of these guys. Yeah. Just, you know, cute, good, young guys, like just ready for life, you know, ready to like go learn and, you know, get a degree and go make a life of their own and meet new people and all the stuff I was talking about before. And it was certainly the case with this person too, you know, this one makes me just think about, you know, all the times that, I mean, think about like the times when you have been majorly drunk before, you know, right. just like really out of your fucking gourd drunk. And like, thankfully, you know, you probably had friends around you that were there to, you know, help you or take care of you or watch out for you. And right. in, in this case, the one person who was watching out for him, the one person gets sidelined. It's just fucking insane. Yeah, so the outcome of this um, is there's there's two sides to it. There's a, a really sad side, and then there's kind of a, a I don't want to say uplifting, but at least something that came out of it that that will maybe help going forward. Yeah. Um. So only actually two people actually pled guilty, um, and they served very small sentences, which mm -hmm. in no jail time has been served for wow. for this incident. Um. On March 30th of 2021. So obviously this is like this is still really fresh. Yeah, like sure. this still is probably in court in some way, shape or form, but settlements were reached with 25 dependents and third party defendants of, in civil suits. Um, Penn state university actually settled out of court with the piazzas to avoid uh, further litigation. Not surprising there. Um, but the, the one um, light at the end of the tunnel um, for Tim is that there is now a Timothy J Piazza anti-hazing law 
Um, the bill would create tiers for hazing. Um, hazing resulting in serious bodily injury or death would be a third per- third degree felony, which could include fines up to $15,000 and imprisonment up to seven years. Hazing resulting in bodily injury would be a third degree misdemeanor, which could include fines of up to $2,500 and imprisonment of one year. Other hazing would be a summary offense. Um, this bill would establish organizational and institutional hazing categories. So at least after all of this, and I know that his parents did go on to kind of do a lot of speaking at, at different universities about kind of alcohol, substance abuse, and hazing, um, at least now we do have a, a, a thing in place that people can um, be held against um, as far as a monetary and or uh, jail uh, offense. So wow. I, I look at that as kind of the silver lining of such a, a horrible story. Yeah, sure. Well, Andrew, I think we've managed to to do it again. We've managed to tell some really sad stories uh, before <laughs> before we go into talking about some really fun stories like movies, right? Um, listen, uh, if you're a young person listening to this and you're in college, I think there's some of you out there. You know, we we like you. You're good people. Um, why don't you watch out for yourself? And even more, why don't you watch out for someone else around you? And even if you're not a young person, you should do that. Look out for people. Um, wow. Those are some, th- those stories actually hit harder than I thought that they would today. Yeah. That's, uh, boys are stupid. <laughs> yeah, they sure are. Um, so listen, folks, that does it for our, uh, our horror in real life segment. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with what you been watching, bitch. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome back to everyone's favorite segment and also one of our very favorite segments. It's called What You Been Watching, Bitch. What You Been Watching, you fraternity bitch. Yeah, you little frat bitch. Yeah, you like that little bitch, huh? Yeah? Okay, good. Well, listen, this is the segment of the show, if you're a first-time listener, where we just talk about uh, what we've... um, what we've been watching. And so Andrew's going to start us off with the first thing that he's been watching. Yes. The first thing I watched, uh, my first two actually were on the plane, but you can also watch them like by renting them or going on Hulu or sure. whatever. So, um, 10 and a half hours is a long time with people. Um, so, uh, the first one that I watched was the ledge Ooh. it's on Hulu currently. Uh, this is all about two, uh, young women, probably like college age or just out of college who are going to a, uh, a, a, a mountain to climb it. Like think, um, style okay. type setup and um they happen to be next to another cabin and these four guys show up and they're kind of like broy fratty dudes and um they end up staying up with them one night around the campfire and something goes awry and one of the girls actually ends up getting killed um that's no spoiler because it's in the preview um and but at the same time, the other girl was actually recording the whole thing um, with her video camera that she had. And so she caught it on tape. And so now it's those guys against her trying to get the tape back so they're not implicated in the crime. Sure. And um, she basically is a expert mountain climber and they are kind of all like novice mountain climbers. So it's it all takes place on the edge of a mountain, her climbing, them climbing. 
and it's honestly pretty intense um wow the one thing i will say is that the the four bro guys they don't make sense as a friend group i don't know why they're friends (laughs) because they all hate each other um but nonetheless i think that this if you're a horror movie person you'll probably at least get a kick out of like this thriller style uh mountain climbing okay uh it definitely had me on the edge of my seat i know that i have a little bit more at at stake because i don't like heights yeah sure um so it got me a little maybe a little more than other people um but yeah other than kind of the character development which doesn't make a ton of sense i thought that this was a fun watch so if you want to give it a watch it's a fun little 90 minute easy movie and by easy i mean just like easy to digest um no really like it's not it's no hereditary if you will but um, yeah yeah sure sure. um, but it was a fun watch for me uh it's on hulu if you wish to watch the ledge cool uh my first one is called alone it's on netflix this is not the alone that is the tv show where they're out on their own like in the wilderness you know that one which oh, I, I i thought that that was what this was and no. i was like man we've already talked about this i know i know because I, I i really like that show as you know um but this is a movie it came out in 2020 um and I, I don't know if it just like flew under everyone's radar or whatever but i hadn't heard of it at all um, I actually had a really great date last week, and I watched this with with this um, this lovely fellow, fella, <laughs> um, who also happens to be a horror fan, and I uh, we had a nice time. Anyways, uh, we watched Alone together. We both really liked it, and um, it's good. It's 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 a kidnap movie. Um, it stars uh, what's her name? I'm actually looking at the thing now. Jules Wilcox, uh, who I don't know really well, and also Mark Menchaca, uh, who is in or Menchaca. I'm not. Manchaka, I think, uh, who was in Ozark and he's been in some other things. I, I think people might know him more. Uh, it also happens to star Anthony Held in a, in a, in a pretty small role, but Anthony Held, if you remember, was in Silence of the Lambs. He is the psychologist, um, that, uh, that, that Hannibal Lecter eventually killed. He's, he's like a total jerk. I can't remember his name in the movie. Anyways, um, it's a, it's a good little movie. Um, it is about a, I'll just read you the synopsis. A recently widowed traveler is kidnapped by a cold blooded killer only to escape into the wilderness where she is forced to battle against the elements as her pursuer closes in on her. That is a, um, that's a uh, motif and a trope. God, I hate that word, but I'll use it. It's a trope that's you know sort of common. You've you've seen that type of movie many times, right? I just happen to think that this one does it pretty damn well. Um, I'm not really sure what the reception has been because I like once again I just haven't really heard anything about it until we watched it because we just couldn't find anything else to watch. Uh, but I thought it was great. So uh, it's on Netflix right now. I highly recommend it. Once again, it's called Alone. I think I watched this. Does it start kind of slow with her like have a U-Haul behind her? Yes. Yeah. A small yeah, U-Haul. I watched yeah. this. Did you like it? Yeah. Uh, I remember thinking that it was really slow at the beginning, but by the time they got into Picked things, like, it was pretty entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. But all right, cool. Well, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I watched that, but, <laughs> but obviously it didn't leave too much of a big impression. Yeah, yeah, but, sure, sure, sure. Um, well, but you, I remember you know what else? Also. It might've come out before the pandemic when I think about it. So like if it came out before the pandemic, then it would have like naturally been lost. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Like you yeah, just would have yeah. like, you would have forgotten about it. 
Well, speaking of a movie that I had never heard of, and I don't think I've heard anybody talk about it. It's not really a horror movie, but it definitely has some mystery in it. Uh, it's a movie called Family Squares. Okay. Um, I watched this on the plane, but I did find out that you can kind of rent it anywhere. It actually, I thought that this came out in 2020 because of how it's how it's, uh, how it's it's filmed, but it actually came out very recently in 2022. Um, this has the stacked cast of, let me just read some of these names. Anne Dowd. Elsie Fisher, Judy Greer, uh, Margot Martindale, uh, let's see here, June Squibb, Casey Wilson, Henry Winkler, Rob Reiner. I mean, All look, you, people. you, you had me at Ann Dowd, quite frankly. So this is a classic um, over Zoom uh, movie with all those people. And basically what it is, is it is takes place during the beginning of the pandemic where nobody could see kind of, nobody could go to see their family members that were unfortunately passing away in like nursing homes sure. and everything. Um, and it follows the matriarch of the family. She actually knows that she's passing away. So she enlists the help of her youngest uh, um, granddaughter to kind of film these zoom um, recordings for her family as kind of like a living will. Um, but, in doing so, she ignites like a fury um, amongst the family because basically what happens is they're all in different parts of the world, like all these different family members. I believe it's um, two siblings and then they each have children below them. So sure. and then those children have children. So it's kind of like four uh, generations of okay. this family kind of getting together over Zoom and understanding um and um, basically what she does, at the, this, the, the, the matriarch dies at the beginning of the movie, which once again is in the trailer, so no spoilers on that. But her big revelation to the family, just to get things going, is she basically says, one of you is not a sibling. Oh, my God. And then she says, I'll just leave that to you guys to figure out. Holy and so shit. It, That's crazy. So, it ignites this whole family secrecy because, you know, within families, there's always secrets that kind of come out later in life sometimes. Um, but it's kind of the unraveling and then the mending of a family that maybe was a little broken at one wow. time. And it took the death of this matriarch to kind of bring the family kind of back together. Wow. Um, and it's all over Zoom. I pursue, I, I, I can only imagine that they filmed this during the pandemic and it's just now being finished. Sure. Um, but uh, it was funny. They had some outtakes at the end of the, at the end of the uh, credits that kind of showed some of the outtakes during the zoom process, which was fascinating to me. Um, just trying to direct people over zoom has to be insane. <laughs> um, but uh, I would definitely give this a watch if you can stomach it, because I know yeah, some sure. people are, are over like the whole like zoom culture and the whole like um, pandemic but um, a really sweet message at the very end of the at the very end of the movie, they kind of dedicate the movie to anybody that lost a family member. That's nice. That had to do it over Zoom or over a FaceTime. That, That's smart. And I thought that was really sweet. So I would definitely give it a watch. It's definitely not. It's not a horror movie. It's not a thriller. It's definitely more of like a family comedy. But it definitely sure. has some like sinister roots so family squares give it a watch okay uh my next one that i'll talk about is uh house of the dragon which is the new series about game of thrones or i should say like the new series in the game of thrones universe this is uh of course it's on hbo duh, and, and, and on now over here didn't it, they hurt you all enough with that last season? yeah listen you know i'm still i'm still actually like viscerally angry about that final season of got 
Um, but you know, it was, I forget when I started watching this, but I was like, eh, it's on. I'm, I've got nothing else to do. I might as well just finally watch this fucker. So I watched just the first episode. There are two out right now so far. So I'm, I'm just a little bit behind. Um, you know, look, this is the prequel, um, to game of Thrones. It's all about the Targaryen dynasty and the dragons and blah, 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 blah. Hence it's called house of the dragon. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's okay. Um, it's maybe another shot at a universe that, you know, look, if, if you weren't a fan, then you're not going to be into it. So like, you're just, I, I, that's fine. You're just, you're not into it. So there you go. But if you were a fan of game of Thrones, you got to understand, we gave that universe an awful lot of our energy and an awful lot of like our love. So when it really floundered, I think that really hurt for a lot of people. It did for me. Um, and so this is maybe just a chance to kind of just see if there's any sort of like any sort of redemption that we can get. I don't know. I'm going to keep watching it. I'm not investing myself too hard in it, but at least I watched the first one. I'll watch the second one at some point in the next week. Um, but yeah, you know, House of the Dragon, it's pretty, it's big, just like Game of Thrones. Have a watch. There you go. That's it. Hmm. All right. My next one is, and actually my next two are like the big hitters that everyone in horror are talking about. So I'm not going to spend too much time on these just because yeah, I think sure. everyone's heard everyone's opinion on these movies. Um, but um, the first one is on Hulu. It's a Hulu exclusive. It's called Prey. It is the origin, or not origin, prequel to the Predator series. Um, I, for one, am not a huge Predator person, even though I've seen yeah, every sure. Predator movie. I don't know how I've seen every single one, but I have. Um, th- <laughs> They're just not my they're not like my go to. You yeah, know what I mean? I was so. I was I was more of an alien fan as opposed to Predator. Yeah. So I didn't have too many stakes going into this prequel, but it was it was gonna be on Hulu. It came out on a Friday night. It was like, duh, it's a horror movie yeah, on a course. Friday night. It's yeah. on my TV. I'm gonna watch it. Um then this movie happened. Uh I was telling you on vacation, this movie is fucking awesome. It is so good. If you've not watched Prey, get your Hulu subscription just for this and you can cancel it in a month. Um, it's about a young woman, a Comanche woman. I believe it's in the 1700s, if I remember correctly. Uh, and uh, she is trying to prove herself in her uh, in her community as a warrior. And it just so happens that the predator, or a predator, and I shouldn't say the predator because it's a predator, shows up and she is forced to battle it amongst her other people in the Comanche um, Native American uh, community. Uh, what's interesting about this is that they actually use Comanche language in it. That's and awesome. what's even more, what, what's even more cool is that they have a extended cut of the movie. That's all in Comanche. So oh, they had shit. all of, all of the actors and actresses come back and redub it in all Comanche. That's and if really you want to cool. watch it, if you want to watch that cut, you can. Um, there is a cut, the the the, the quote unquote like theatrical cut, if you want to say that, is somewhat in Comanche, but then they also transfer into English just because of the people that are watching it. Huh. Um, but there's a really cool part where there is a exchange between two characters that speak two different languages, but when they speak Comanche, they understand each other and then it it goes to English. It's very, it's a really cool thing that they did a really cool dynamic. The movie is filmed. So this is far better than any predator movie even deserves to be. I guess I'll just leave it at that. So, (laughs) 
Oh, cool. I, I, can't, I, I can't believe I've actually never one that I haven't watched it yet, but I'm very much looking forward to finally getting that in. Um, my third one here is Better Call Saul. Um, Better Call Saul. Ten years later. <laughs> I know, right? Better Call Saul is the uh, prequel to Breaking Bad. Um, and it is the sequel series that they released, you know, now eons ago. Um, I was a Breaking Bad fanatic, absolutely loved it. When Better Call Saul came out, I don't know why I didn't start it. I just didn't, and I never got around to it as those things go sometimes, right? How um, how big of a part was he in Breaking Bad? Pretty, pretty big. I mean, okay. you know, he wasn't like a he wasn't like the main character, of course, but he, he the Breaking Bad story, the universe of it could not have happened without Saul Goodman. Um, okay. But this is the story of how Saul Goodman came to be. Um, because before he was Saul Goodman, he was Jimmy McGill. And Jimmy McGill was just sort of like a, a an everyday dude who just ke- couldn't keep out of trouble um, while he had a brother um, who was just like the total goody two shoes, super successful lawyer who, you know, did everything. Um, he could uh, to completely stay out of trouble because he was never in it. In fact, he was the one who, who you know, was the lawyer, of course. Um, this is the story of how those two brothers just don't get along and how eventually uh, Jimmy McGill becomes a lawyer and Jimmy McGill, uh, you know, comes to, you know, fall in love and do all these things. And then just circumstances are such that he becomes Saul Goodman, uh, who uh, he makes up the name because it's 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 all good, man. Right. Get it. Um, so, you know, look, it sounds kind of silly. It's actually an incredible story because it's a story about like transformation and about love and about success and about finding your way in the world and about just look how the world is is just a place where shitty shit happens all the time. And it's up to you to find a way to wade through it. Um, and there are no particular set of morals or ethics or standards that are going to make you do it better than anybody else. That's what the show is really about. Um, so it's it's a lot like Breaking Bad in the sense that, like, yeah, it's a show about drugs, but it's also a show about just, like, life. Um, and they've done an incredible job with it. Like, Bob Odenkirk, who who plays Saul Goodman or Jimmy McGill, is really, really good. And all the other actors on the show, just like in Breaking Bad, are really, really good. And they they tell an incredible story. Vince Gilligan, who's the creator and, and the writer and the director and all, you know, the rest of the shit. Um, just he really crafted a pretty incredible universe. I know that um, you know, so the, the it's better call Saul is is the last part of it. He doesn't want he doesn't want to do any more. Um, and the show has ended now. I haven't watched the final episode yet. I'm almost there. I'm in season six right now, so I'm pretty close. Um, but I've really had a great time with it. Um, I'm watching it on Netflix. You can watch it, I'm sure, on a lot of different things. But Better Call Saul, highly recommend. All right. He's he's into the modern mm-hmm. day TV shows. I know. I'm getting there. I'm getting there <laughs> shortly, old man over here. Uh, he's not just watching uh, Pride and Prejudice from 1995. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'd still do that, too. Um, all right. My final one um, is also the other big hitter on everyone's list right now. It is the prequel to Orphan that we never thought we needed. Orphan First Kill. Uh, it's on Paramount Plus streaming right now. I believe that's the only place right now that thank you can you for watch this, it. Thank you for this gift. I didn't know I was receiving and also did not want. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's so strange because 
I don't know. I don't know how much you know about this, but so Orphan came out in 2009. It was, um, I don't know. I think people enjoyed it. It was more of a. It was not my I thing. I know that. I, I think it was more of like I can't believe the twist. Like that was yeah, what sure. the movie right. relied on. Um, and then Orphan First Kill comes along in 2022. What is that? Uh, 13 years later. Jesus. Um, <laughs> and and the orphan Lena. And or Esther, however you want to refer to her in her various states, is played by the same actress. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so they use a forced perspective, kind of like Hobbit style, to make her seem smaller than she is. Um, but I got to tell you, Maddie, I know that you maybe didn't like the first one. This movie is a fucking great. Should I should I watch this one? Is it good? <laughs> yes, you should definitely. What okay. I would recommend, and what I would recommend if you don't want to go back and and watch Orphan because it's a two hour long movie, I didn't know yeah. how long it was. Um, you know our 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 good buddies over at Dead Meat, um, they have a YouTube channel. I'm sure everyone's very yeah, aware. Yeah. They they just did a great recap of uh, of Orphan on their YouTube channel, so you can watch that. It's like 25 minutes and save yourself a little bit of time. Sure, and then go watch Orphan First Kill because if you thought that they were going to come back and just do um it's orphan again she's going to trick a family into thinking she's a kid think again because this fucking movie has even better twists and turns oh my god okay I'll <laughs> and i gotta tell watch. you julia styles perfect oh, perfect right. perfect perfect that's all i'm gonna say well, maybe maybe <laughs> so. this will be my re-entry to the orphan universe um cool so my final one is actually not a show it's a book um and the reason why is because honestly with traveling and everything else in august literally the only stuff that i watched is the stuff that i just told you right now that's yeah. it um so i did finally read a book because i don't know about you andrew but reading is harder as you get older it just is yeah. like finding the time to actually sit down and read a fucking book is tough um, so anyways, I finally finished a book. I've, I've read shockingly few books this year and really in the past few years. Anyways, I'm this about is halfway. Th- I'm about halfway through the final girls support group, which oh, is good. Uh, a, a really it's fun one. Great. But yeah. 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 Um, so this book is uh, it's a really good book. If you're into reading like just something, maybe just a little bit academic, but it's totally accessible. It's called The Tyranny of Merit. It's written by Michael J. Sandel. Um, he is a philosopher and author and a professor. I think he's he's really, really insightful and brilliant. Um, just a little bit about what this is about. Um, the, the, uh, the, the byline of the book is what has become of the common good. Um, and the, uh, the description is that these are dangerous times for democracy. It's an age of winners and losers. The odds are stacked in favor of the people who are already fortunate. Um, stalled social mobility and entrenched inequality give the lie to the American credo that you can make it if you try. The consequence is a brew of anger and frustration that has fueled populist protest and extreme polarization and led to the deep distrust of both government and our fellow citizens, leaving us morally unprepared to face the profound challenges of our time. The author argues that to overcome these crises that are upending the world, we have to rethink the attitudes we have towards success and failure that have accompanied globalization and rising inequality. Sandel shows the hubris of meritocracy and how it generates among the winners uh, and, and the harsh judgment it imposes on those left behind and traces the dire consequences across a wide swath of American life. Um, 
it's a it's actually kind of a scary book <laughs> to be completely honest with you for people who like horror because it digs into all the really crazy shit that's happening in America and tries to find a way through it that is different than just saying these people bad these people good which frankly is not really helping anybody there's no real solutions coming um so you know look it might be a little academic for some people but this is a book that i really enjoyed um, and I and I think it's an argument that's worth hearing right now. So once again, that is The Tyranny of Merit, a book by Michael J. Sandell. And Andrew, guess what? What? That's the end of, of What You've Been Watching, bitch. What You've Been Watching, you little fraternity bitch. So listen, Andrew brought us The Ledge on Hulu, Family Squares. Uh, you rented that on the plane, Andrew. Congratulations. Um, also, Prey, which is on Hulu, and Orphan First Kill, which is on Paramount+. Plus. And Maddie brought us Alone on Netflix, House of the Dragon on HBO slash now, uh, Better Call Saul, which probably you can watch in a lot of places, in a lot of Netflix places, yeah. for sure. Uh, and finally, the book, The Tyranny of Merit by Michael Sandel. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with our first film of the episode, Hell Night. <laughs> Welcome to Garth Manor. In order to be a member of Alpha Sigma Rho, one has to do what? To stay in Garth Manor one night. And why is this night so special? Because 12 years ago, Raymond Garth murdered his family here and then committed suicide. And when the police arrived, they discovered a note written by Raymond Garth describing the entire gruesome act. But strangely, they only discovered three dead bodies. Andrew is still believed by some to be living somewhere within this house. Hey, let's party! Quaaludes and Jack Daniels. Oh my gosh, this is one radical chick. Now the fun begins. <laughs> it's not a heaven night, it's a hell night. Maddie, tell us all about hell night. Pray for day. Four college pledges are forced to spend the night in a deserted old mansion where they get killed off one by one by the monstrous surviving members of a family massacre. Uh, for trespassing on their living grounds. This was directed by Tom DeSimone, written by Randy Feldman, uh, produced by BLT Productions, distributed by Compass International Pictures, Marty, played by the legendary Linda Blair, Seth by Vincent Van Patten, Jeff by Peter Barton, Peter by Kevin Brophy, May by Jenny Newman, Denise by Suki Goodwin, and Scott by Jimmy Sturdivant. Uh, it's rated R, 101 minutes, made in the USA, uh, in and around Los Angeles, basically. Uh, it was released August 7th, 1981. Uh, there was, funny enough, no budget information available for this movie, which I thought was kind of weird, but I could not find it. Um, and that is Hell Night. Andrew, uh, tell me what you thought. 
So Hell Knight. Um, I had watched this once before a couple years back. I think when it got added to Shudder, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, I had heard some good things about it. Um, overall, I think that this movie is very front-loaded. I think that the uh, the first half of the movie is actually pretty good and pretty entertaining. And I think that the dynamic between especially our four main characters, so we have two fraternity brothers and two sorority sisters that are kind of, um, they're forced to spend the night in this old house uh as kind of like their initiation to the fraternity slash sorority and um they kind of couple off um and i really like the dynamics between both of the couples i think that all of the people all of the actors actually play off of each other very well um even kind of our 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 trifecta of um uh what would you call them um the people that are playing the tricks on them uh even they play off of each other very well um unfortunately for me this one stays a little too long for its uh, its welcome um i i think it's a little too overlong um and i think some of the scenes towards the end just get a little bit repetitive i'm Mm -hmm. definitely speaking of when they're looking for denise oh yeah um they just they're looking for denise for like 25 minutes and i'm just like i don't care she's dead we all know she's dead um it, it was funny though uh there is a weird um there is a weird comments comments around women in this movie that yeah. we can talk about in a little bit um it literally took me about 45 minutes to th- figure out who may was uh because they just don't really give her anything yeah, to do sure. um she's the girl who actually gets killed first um but i i thought that the beginning of this was really fun i liked the whole party aspect i thought peter was uh, fun as kind of like the douchey frat president um and i liked the whole conversation that they had with seth between seth and jeff about kind of like oh she's not really my type when talking about linda blair and then he looks over at the other girl and she's like oh no that's my type (laughs) and somehow they're the four that end up going to the house together which i thought was really funny yeah um but uh, i did like the whole i love a good story within a movie so i liked the whole story about the mongoloid boy named mort and his his sister suzanne and margaret and andrew the gork son and how he got they all got killed off and I, I love that kind of like folklore because as m- many of our listeners know, we, we love that stuff, especially like local folklore. And I, I thought that that was really and, fun. And how often do we have an Andrew in the story? I was thinking about I that know. when I watched it. I was like, I bet Andrew's loving this right now. <laughs> oh, I just happen to be the gork. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked the whole story about Garth Manor. I liked the whole setup. Uh, but like I said, I think I get to about an hour into this movie and then I'm like, okay, like, can we wrap it up? Like, let's, let's, let's yeah. wrap it up. And unfortunately I think the, the, very end is kind of sudden and we'll talk about that for both movies i I don't think that either these movies have great endings i agree um but overall i had fun with it i just got a little bored towards the end what about you uh yeah you know i was um i i agree with you for the most part um i think that the movie is too long like i said it's 101 minutes that's we all like movies to be what andrew how long 90 minutes or below. <laughs> That's it, baby. If it, God, if it's 85 minutes, I'm like, oh, come on. That, give it an Oscar right away. Um, this is an hour and 41 minutes, and it could definitely be 25 minutes shorter. I really do think that. There's a lot of meandering. Yep. There's a lot of just like looking around. Um, but also in that, there are some of those looking around shots that I think are really cool. There yeah. is a, there's a shot somewhere in the middle of the movie um, where it's literally just like a like a like a a long shot that like sort of closes in on a door, 
it's truly that symbol of a shot. I was watching it and I was like, I actually cannot believe how cool that shot looks right now. It looks- is this when Denise is waking up in the middle of the night and hears like the knocking or whatever? Uh, no, it's not that. I, I can't quite remember where it was. It, it's it's an external shot and it's it's nighttime and it just kind of like zooms in slowly to the door. Huh. And I don't know why it hit me so much. I Maybe I was having an emotional day or something. I don't know. All I know is, is that shot was really beautiful. And there were other parts of it, too, that were really cool, like the crazy dinner table with the dead bodies and the rats everywhere, like and candles lit and this and that. There were some practical things in there that you don't see in movies like that anymore. This yeah, was like, I did. I did like that whole part when Marty sees the ghost. I thought that that was actually really yeah, spooky. The, the, that ghost was so cool. That specter effect. When's the last time you saw something like that in a movie? You right. just you haven't. So I mean, th- there were those parts of it that do necessarily add to the length of the movie that I think um, were were so worth it that I would hate it if they were gone. Right. I just wish that the filmmakers could have zeroed in more on that kind of stuff instead of the dumb stuff. Some of the dumb stuff that could have been cut out is like Seth walking around in his boxers all the fucking time. Like <laughs> just he's just he's just constantly wearing boxers and like trying to fool around with this girl but not really fooling around with her ever um, or jeff just walking around in the dark where yeah. you can't even see anything anyway <laughs> truly i mean that that stuff just doesn't doesn't quite work now um oh you know overall i i, I enjoyed watching the movie i i and i was surprised by some of the things that that i enjoyed i do think also that you know look it suffers from the linda blair syndrome like yeah it's it's there's no so this movie was 1981 right and exorcist was what 73 yeah so this is eight years later um you know linda blair's a little bit older but guess what she looks like she looks a like a kid she looks yeah. like linda blair and like you know if you if you've watched the exorcist it's just one of those movies where look that's just you're the exorcist girl forever sorry that's just how it is so it is kind of hard to to take your brain out of that with her and but even with that being said, I think that she did a pretty good job. You know, she did a good job trying to not be Linda Blair. And and yeah, I, she, there's something admirable about that, truly. She has one um, reaction that I can only imagine they didn't tell her what was going to happen yeah. because it, it truly does look like a surprise. It's where um, I forget at the end if it's Andrew that's running around with them or if it's the father that's running around with yeah. them because one of them gets killed. But that's not clear which one's which. Um <clears throat> Um, cause there's two killers in this movie. Um, but he comes through the door yeah. at one point and you see it in her face that I don't think that they told her that, <laughs> that that guy was coming through the door because she reacts in a way that looks truly stunned. Um, I, what I will say about her character is I wish they would have just chosen a lane for her character yeah, sure. because there are certain points where she is seen as like a badass where she's like, Oh yeah, I fix cars. I grew up in my dad's shop and I can take care of myself. And then yeah. there's other parts where she's clutching to Jeff. Like she can't do anything yeah. else but scream. Yeah. So it, just felt like her character, not her acting, but her character was just very uneven on what they wanted us to understand about her. If that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, but I mean, you know, all in all, I think it's good. You know, if if you look at other reviews from from other people, because this was a first watch for me on both on both of these movies. Because um, this, this, I mean, you know me well enough. This is not one that I would normally gravitate to. So I, I would sure, never sure. just like select this to watch. Um, even though I'm an exorcist fanatic and it's, it's arguably my favorite horror film of all time. So I 
you know, probably should have watched it just for LB alone. Um, if you look at other reviews though, like on Letterboxd or, you know, anywhere else that, you know, horror, horror Twitter exists, um, there are some interesting opinions. Like, um, there's one, uh, person on Letterboxd, uh, Nathaxan. I don't know how you pronounce their name, but back in 2019, they gave it four and a half stars on Letterboxd and they said, we have forgotten how to watch Hell Night because we no longer have available to us important material cofactors in the creation and contemporary reception of Hell Night, not the least of which are Quaaludes. Hell Night is gloriously <laughs> is gloriously manifest, maybe peak Quaalude, cinema-heavy, duty, inertial, real-time, slow-motion, creeping as if you are almost sleeping towards inevitable danger mortality, which is some grumpy dude with insomnia slash PTSD, understandably hella upset that a torch-bearing mob of frat bros direct deposited rando kids in his living room or wherever, whereupon the important life lesson of polydrug rock, paper, scissors, Jack Daniels covers the cocaine, which covers the Jack Daniels, while quaaludes keep everything chill. If chill is kind of a sultry, extended heave, heat wave through space in bra and panties and high humidity hair that isn't going to ask names and wouldn't remember even if gets almost articulated. He just goes on and on and on, whoever this person is. Oh my God. It's, it's honestly a pretty great review to read. Um, but, you know, th- there there is one thing there besides the whole Quaaludes bit, which I which is hilarious, of course. Um, there's, there's one thing there that I think is kind of important is that, uh, you know, th- this is a different kind of, of slasher. And, you know, I kind of alluded to it earlier with like how the movie was actually formed, like looking at like, once again, the dinner table or like you said, the the ghost, the specter. Um, this is just something that seems anachronistic right now to 21st century eyes and brains. Um, it feels quite old. It feels a lot older, you know, for example, than um, than Night of the Creeps, which took t- it was filmed five years later. So it's not that far in, in, in the decade. Um, and we'll talk about that movie next. Um, but it feels way older than that. Um, in even though in Night of the Creeps, it starts off in 1959. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just kind of an interesting way to think about the film that this is just something that we're just not really used to anymore. Yeah, um, I, I think that review is a little <laughs> it's a little, a little crazy. I think a little the, crazy. The movie is. <laughs> It's what it is, but um, I, I look. You know what people like to do? You know what horror people like to do? They like to get deep on this shit. They like to go on and on and on about nothing. Welcome to our so podcast. Hi. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so some of the some of the lines that I wrote down I, at the very beginning of the party, I think that it was funny when um, I think it's Scott and Peter having a conversation, and Scott says something to a girl like, "Hey, show him some respect. He's the president of uh, Alpha Sigma Rho," and she just opens her shirt and she goes. I'm going to show a lot more than respect. <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, I thought it was funny when um, Denise shows up and she goes, um, hey, let's party. Quaaludes, Jack, and music. <laughs> um, alluding to kind of the book that you talked about and what you've been watching, bitch. Uh, very interesting mm-hmm. to hear in 1981, a conversation between uh, Jeff and Marty Fuck where fast. basically... Jeff says, uh, what makes being rich so evil and being poor so noble? Um, because he comes yeah. from like the right side of the tracks and she's kind of, you know, wrong side of the tracks, uh, which I thought was interesting. I'm like, wow, we're still having these conversations uh-huh. 40 years later. Totally. Um, 
I did think that um, Seth, the whole running joke that um, Denise keeps getting his name wrong was really funny. Um, I think it was funny when he was like, I surf, I drink and I screw. And then (laughs) every time he's talking about like, yeah, I'm on my 18 incher and I got two to three strokes and she's just making jokes the whole time. I thought that their whole dynamic was really funny. I thought your name was Seth. Yeah. (laughs) Wes. No, she thinks her name's Wes. That's right. 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 Yeah. Duh. Um, I thought it was funny uh, when Scott and uh, Peter are talking and May kind of goes away from them and and uh, he goes, we, we should have left her behind. And then he goes, why? Her behind's the best part. <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, I thought that a lot of the gore was really good in this. A lot of the kills were pretty inventive and interesting, um, especially May when she gets her head fucking chopped off. Yeah crazy um like i said i i do think that this is a great movie up until like basically i think when after uh seth leaves after he jumps over the fence yeah. um which i think is actually a pretty intense scene because those spikes are also not- can i just say this so he's climbing over this fence right and they're like take off your boots it'll be easier so he takes off the boots and he eventually makes it over the fence Great. Good for you. Congratulations. And while he's lying on the ground, the camera perspective is on the ground as well. Right. And you can see the fence behind him. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you see it. And then he says, throw the boots over. And I just wanted to say, you could literally just pass them under the fence. (laughs) That's true. I didn't even think about it. There's literally like, or you could also just put them through the fence. If you think about that too. I was like, why are you? Why are you throwing it over? You don't need to do that. That's just so much That's effort. That's funny. Just, I did not yeah. even put that together. So I sh- you know me. I, I got to find that little tiny thing there. That's usually the stuff that I find. So congratulations. Um, so uh, it did take me a minute when um, Seth finds the head in his bed. Yeah. I thought that that was Denise, but then they continue to look for Denise. It turns out that was May's head. Oh, so I kind of put it together. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have in my notes, looking for Denise takes on way too much time in this movie. Way too Um, much time. uh, I did think it was interesting that they showed that Peter had the keys on him the whole time, which was like, it's right there. Um, But even though Seth, he goes to the police and they could not give two shits because it's a college town. And in a college town, they don't take anybody seriously. You boys have been running around doing murder all night. Something like that or whatever. (laughs) Doing murder. (laughs) Or whatever. Whatever he said. Um, Something like that. Uh, I did, I did like, there was one other scene that I wanted to make sure that we highlighted. Uh, it's, it's towards the end of the movie before they go into the caverns. Um, Jeff and Marty are having a conversation basically being like, do you think we'll make it out of here? Like, it, or do you think everything's going to be okay? And he's like, yeah, everything's going to be okay. And if you look in the background, a rug starts to rise up from the floor. Oh yeah. And, and they don't see it. Only we see it as the audience and it's the, the gork or whatever. Um, but I thought that that was really effective. It kind of reminded me of house on sorority row, which we watched pretty recently where they had that kind of like doll sure. figure in the background all the time. And it finally comes to life. Um, I did appreciate that Seth actually does shoot one of them and yeah. does actually kill one of them. Um, I found it funny though, that he shows up to the fence and has a shotgun and could totally now shoot the lock off, but, <laughs> but chooses to then go around to the side where there's magically now an opening in the fence. This fence, <laughs> this fence is a character in itself. Really? When you think about it. 
Yeah, it, it that part was honestly really annoying to me. Um, I did not expect Jeff to die, if I'm being honest, yeah, because sure. they do build up their relationship throughout the entire movie. He even gets injured at one point, and she kind of takes care of him. And they have like a very... At, at first, you're, at, at first, it's kind of a will they, won't they? But then towards the end, you're like, oh, they're going to be together at the end of this. And then it kind of takes like a a big turn where he just gets thrown out the window. Yeah. And then it's kind of Linda Blair by herself for the rest of the movie. I did like the very end where she runs into the fence and then he's on top of the car and then she impales him on the fence. Fuck I thought yeah. that was it was amazing. A really, really cool way to dispense of a killer. Um, but right after that. It's just her getting out of the car, and then the movie ends. Yeah, like, with, with that big old brooch on her neck. Which I was like, that's that's not a good ending. Come on. Uh, I did like that her, her mechanic skills come in at the clutch where the car won't start, and she goes and does some sort of sparky thing. and Lifts it up that hood, and, and, and I was thinking, damn, I, I wonder if that still works if I ever have to do that. Jeez. <laughs> no. The answer is no. I don't even know what God. she was doing. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, It's look, not even the, like she was hot wiring it. It was just kind of like she lifted up the hood and like did some stuff with... <laughs> The the ending is definitely uh, what's the word I'm looking for. The, the ending is abrupt. It's definitely abrupt for sure, um, but it's also it's like an eighty one style ending. You know, like yeah, I, I I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of titles right now. But there are other films that end kind of like that. You know, it's almost it reminded me of the end of Tourist Trap. If oh, you've there seen you go. That yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, we talked about Tourist Trap a long time ago. Um, Tourist Trap is ridiculous. If you've never seen Tourist Trap, go see it. It's a, such a weird fucking movie. Um, it ends in what I might call a tableau. You know, it's like there's there's nowhere else for this to go, and it just it's over. That's look at, the end. Look at, look at this photo, <laughs> and that was the story. Congratulations. Which storytelling has just changed since then? Like back then, that was you know what people fucking did. Um, but now I think I think if if they made a modern film like this where it just ended with a a photo essentially that wouldn't that wouldn't really play, and it wasn't a photo that like led anywhere either. Like it's almost surprising that they didn't set this up for some kind of sequel or something like that, which they could have done in one way or another. I don't know. It could have been her walking and then a hand comes out or you know something like that. Who who the fuck knows? I I, I imagine this is one of the ones that's on a list for a remake somewhere. I, you know what I mean? I could see that. Um, you know, I've, uh, other reviews that I was reading about this from from other folks that have watched it. Uh, th there's a lot of people that that make an analogy over to Scooby Doo. And this is like a big Scooby Doo episode, essentially. Oh, I can kind of see that actually. Yeah, like, now that I'm thinking about it, there, there's one on IMDb that somebody says like a bad, cheesy, horny Scooby Doo episode. Um, but then you've also got other Scooby Doo uh, titles for their um, for their reviews that where where people genuinely liked it, and this is more like an adult Scooby Doo, an R rated Scooby Doo, um, which kind of makes sense. Um, so you know, look, I I think that Hell Knight all in all is is a pretty good movie i enjoyed it um i enjoyed it way more than i thought i was going to i'll be completely honest with you yeah so here at frygate the 13th horror podcast if you've never joined us before we rate on a seven stripe scales for the seven stripes of that gay old rainbow, rainbow. so a 3.5 would be an average movie uh a seven would be a perfect movie and a zero would be uh what what's a good movie to, to put to a that, zero that one, one uh, zach uh yeah Zach's, demon what, house or whatever that's baggins yeah yeah that's right zach, <laughs> zach baggins 
Um, so Andrew, so Maddie, what do you give Hell Knight? Sure, sure. I gave it a four and a half, um, and I said, while sometimes uneven, surprisingly whole as a film, disturbing death scenes, interesting specter effects, and unexpected brilliant cinematography. There was a long shot of a door that honestly made me say, "Wow!" Did not expect that. Yeah, so I gave this a four. Uh, I really enjoy the setup and the character dynamics of the first half. However, it just seems to lag out and drag on for kind of a lackluster finale for me. Cool. So, Andrew, that is our first film of the episode. But at Friday the 13th, we do two films. Why have Woo-woo. one when you can have two? Uh, but we don't do three. That's too many. So we're going to take a quick we have break before. <laughs> it's true. We tried, and that, that's an awful lot. Our voices get tired. Uh, we'll be right back after a quick break with Knights of the Creeps. The Night of the Fall is finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. They get in through your mouth. And you walk around while they incubate, even if you're dead. They are a new terror. <laughs> they are a different kind of Zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies. We could have a little problem. The creeps are taking over. <laughs> I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Night of the Creeps. If you scream, you're dead. Check your calendars, because guess what? It is Night of the Creeps. Andrew, tell us all about this film. The good news is your dates are here. The bad news is... They're dead. In 1959, an alien experiment crashes to Earth and infects a fraternity member. They freeze the body, but in the modern day, two geeks pledging a fraternity accidentally thaw the corpse, which proceeds to infect the campus with parasites that transform their hosts into zombie killers. Directed and written by Fred Decker, this was produced by TriStar Pictures. Uh, Chris is played, played by Jason Lively. JC is played by Steve Marshall. Cynthia is played by Jill Whitlow. Ray is played by Tom Atkins. Detective Landis is played by Wally Taylor. Sergeant Ramey is played by Bruce Solomon. The Coroner is played by Vic Politzos. Uh, Brad, or the Bradster, if you will, is played by Alan Kaiser. Johnny is played by Ken Heron. And Karen is played by June Harris, amongst many other people, because there's a lot of people in this movie. Um, rated R, this comes in at a swift 89 minutes. Cha-ching. Uh, it came out on August 22nd of 1986. And it was also filmed in and around Los Angeles, California, with a budget of $5 million. Unfortunately, this was an 80s flop. I'm not, I didn't yeah. do too much into why um, but this only grossed about a half a million dollars night of the creeps maddie you, i think you said this earlier but this is your first time watching this yeah what were your initial thoughts oh i i think night of the creeps is great um it's uh it's um uh i grew up watching monster squad 
And yeah. I, I, I watched it with my brother and, you know, I, I really liked that movie. Um, watching, we talked, we talked about Monster Squad recently, didn't we? Or am I crazy? Uh, I remember you talked about it because of the whole FAG thing. Yeah, the gay thing. Um, that really turns me off of Monster Squad now as an adult. And this movie, while it, there are, you know, a couple little problematic things, um, this is really different. This is a mm-hmm. movie that feels really good. And the relationship specifically between Chris and JC. Um, it's I, so good. It's so good. And I, and I think, I think for, for, for LGBT, I think for queer audiences, especially it makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I don't know how you read this and not think JC might be gay. In, yeah. In the 80s. He's definitely gay coded. Yeah. And there's something really special about that. Um, and the way that he talks to Chris and like the, 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 the whole, the whole setup of how, you know, Chris wants to meet this girl. And so to meet the girl, they got to get into the fraternity and to get into the fraternity, they got to do all this crazy shit, blah, 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 blah. And how JC is willing to do whatever it takes to make him happy, which Mm -hmm. he even says to him face to face. Like he says, he says, I just want you to be happy and and I'm going to go the extra mile, whatever his monologue is there. It's basically like, if I don't do all of this, life is just depressing and I want you to be happy. Yeah. I mean, like, are you fucking kidding me? That's amazing. And in a 1986 horror movie of uh, all places, truly about, about two, you know, guys trying to get into a frat over a girl. Like that's, that's something really special. Uh, And so it's sort of impossible to, to overlook that Um, on top of the fact that the film is really expertly made. Right. So, you know, the opening scenes in 1959, as opposed to uh, it goes into current day. Right. It's just it's just. Yeah, it's yeah. Or something like that. It's it's in the 80s, whatever. Um, The scenes in 1959 are fantastic. They're so well done. It's done almost. It reminds me of like how how Pleasantville looked almost. Yeah. He's so dreamy. Come on. Oh, my God. It's just the 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 way that that um, what's his face? Fred Decker did it. I just think was really incredible um, and incredible for 1986 because i had not seen yeah. i mean you, you mentioned um what's the movie you just mentioned uh, uh pleasantville or pleasantville. pleasantville um this was like i don't want what 13 years earlier yeah, and they were sure. still like doing this kind of thing i thought it was very refreshing totally and at at first I, when i first saw this i was like oh is this all gonna be like this but then it, it does pay off and go into like a yeah. more modern film make filmmaking but yeah i thought that that was genius as well what what i wasn't a huge fan of were the aliens to begin with if i'm being honest the wormies yeah like what well, no i mean like the the big aliens oh the, you mean the beginning and the ship <laughs> i even i even wrote down i was like what the fuck is this like i did not expect that opener at all um i, I th- th- those it's sort of like I, I'm of two minds of it. Like I, in one mind, I'm like, okay, it sort of matches the fifties motif about aliens. So like mm-hmm. if we were watching some sort of like twilight zone or this or that or whatever, you might expect to find something that looks like that. What I don't get though, is why they didn't do that in black and white. Like they did the 1959 scenes that would have made a lot. More oh sense yeah. To me, you know, <laughs> <That> makes sense. <laughs> so it was, it was in color and it felt like a modern, you know, aliens movie basically. And then suddenly it switches down to black and white America. 
that didn't fully work. I wish that he would have made a different choice there, but just to, you know, put that out there. Um, but that's a small uh, criticism of a movie that I think generally works really well. It is swift at 89 minutes. It is not meandering so much like in, it tells in a lot of story in that 89 minutes. There's a, there's a ton of story here. There's so much going on. And, you know, look, the acting for a bunch of young people in the 80s, pretty fucking good. Uh, and Tom, Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins is fantastic. <laughs> Freaking fantastic. Of course he is. Come on. Um, Thrill me is like the, that is the line of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely great. I mean, and not to mention the good news is your dates are here. The bad news is what's the bad news. They're dead. That's some <laughs> funny shit. Um, so yeah, I, I had a really great time watching this. I thought it was really good. Um, if you, if you have not seen this, I think that this should be, uh, near the top of your list before summer ends. It feels like a summer movie to me. Yeah. Um, so Night of the Creeps is something that I discovered probably about eight or nine years ago. Um, so nothing that I have nostalgia for. But as soon as I saw it, I was like, how have I never heard of this movie before? This is amazing. Like, this is this is like my alley completely. Um, I will agree with you on the aliens. They almost seem like an afterthought. Um, yeah. I mean, if you think about movies like The Blob or, um, um, oh gosh, uh body the body snatchers or anything like that it's kind of just like the aliens are there and yeah, that's sure. what happens i think that they could have done that but i also love the audacity of that opening scene um and how chaotic it is with the aliens and it makes no sense but i sort of love it so yeah, i feel like enough. it was gone i i don't i would miss it but it is kind of shocking <laughs> um especially since they're like little like slimy naked yeah aliens. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think that, um, this movie is kind of, of two minds. It knows itself. It's almost self-referential before Wes Craven was saying self-referential yeah. because there's a, there's a line in it where JC says like, Oh, I'd rather have aliens take over my brain than do something like that. Yeah. Um, and you're like, Oh, well, you obviously know what movie you're in. You know what I mean? Um, and then there's also like, like what you were alluding to earlier, there's this extra layer of just like really good relationships and really good storytelling and actually like very touching moments. Totally. Um, there's a, a, a side storyline where, um, the girl who was with the guy who was infected in 1959, she is killed by an escaped convict, um, on the side of the road. I did think that, that, I did think that whole setup was really funny where she's listening to the news bulletin and then all of a sudden she looks, she turns on the light and it's exactly where she is. It's like Route 66 on the way to the college, which I thought was really funny. Um, and then she gets killed, but it turns out that she had a relationship with um, Tom Atkins at a young age yeah. and, and they broke it off in high school. And he's the one that finds her in, in many pieces because she gets chopped off by an axe and he takes it on himself to hunt down the killer and kill him outside of his police work and kind of bury him on campus, um, which that turns out to be a whole nother side part. Um, but he has never gotten over that yeah. and it's 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 led, bled into his adult life i don't know if you noticed and it, it's almost like if you're not paying close enough attention you don't even realize it i think it was um the last time i watched it i really put two and two together that after he killed the axe murderer for the second time because it gets reanimated by the aliens um he's committing suicide yeah 
Um, he has his oven on and it is, he has the, the door tape shut, uh, with duct tape and he's ready to end it. And it only is because, uh, Chris comes to his door and needs his help that he actually keeps going. Um, which in a movie like this, you don't expect. Yeah. Um, the other really touching part is the recording that JC leaves for Chris when he oh knows God. that he's infected. Yeah. The, the last um, words, the last words that JC says to Chris are, I love you. I know. Have a good it, day, everybody. This is a horror movie, but this look at it how is beautiful so, it is. So sad when he's like, I have one inside of me. Yeah. I'm going to the incinerator. I don't want it to spread from yeah. me. It's it's the most touching thing I've seen in a horror movie. Yeah. Oh my God. And like even like further commentary on like disease in the eighties with gay people. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like it's just it's yeah, there's there's a there's a lot there. Well, speaking of AIDS, um, did you know that the guy uh, who she's talking to at the party, the unibrow guy, it was actually a gay actor who died of AIDS. I did not know that. Um, wow. He was on my list that I did yeah. for Dread um, back in June um, of, of horror movie actors that died of AIDS. Um, but I thought that that was just something wow. to call out there because that it's just commentary and more and more on that. Um, I just think that this movie tells way more of a story than it even needs to. Yeah, um, sure. I, I do think that the ending is a bit abrupt. Um, I'm curious to see what ending you got because there are two different endings to this movie. What movie, what ending did you get? Oh God. Um, well, how, well, how did, how did yours end? So mine ends with, um, the house exploding, obviously. Yeah. And the infected, a burnt up body of Tom Atkins walking towards the cemetery, passing out yeah. in the cemetery and worms going into the cemetery with a spaceship overhead looking for the worms. That's the same one that I had. Okay. So there is an alternate. Because I, I had to, um, for, for the, for hell night, it was on shutter. Right. But for, for night of the creeps, I did have to rent it. So I rented it from Apple. So okay. did you have to rent it or do you own it? I own it. Okay. <laughs> I would I would imagine that the one that I rented from Apple would just be like the standard one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there is a quote unquote theatrical ending um, that is basically, it, it's the same thing. The house explodes, they kiss. And then, um, but in this ending, the dog walks up and huh. um, Cynthia goes down to pet it and a worm jumps out of the mouth and it oh. ends. So that's the under the other ending. Well, I mean, um, that, I I, per, I prefer the ending that we got. Same. I just wanted to I, shout well, it out. I mean, that makes sense for a theatrical ending because it, it would have been a good jump scare at the end. Yeah. Um. So the other part that I did want to talk about, and you uh, kind of alluded to it earlier, is that JC is kind of a, a gay coded character. Yeah, sure. There is one exchange between the two of them when they're fighting about where, sex. Where they go? Where he? So this is just them back and forth. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you too. You'd try it. You'd let me. You'd want me to. You wish. So there's that for you. That yeah. there's obviously some um, underlining uh, sexual tension there, uh, whether yeah. it's between the two of them mm. or between the one that's yet to be known. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting. If we you know just kind of go a little bit further, like. I wonder when Fred Decker decided that JC would have to use braces, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, it's it's like that's another thing that you don't expect in a 1986 movie. <sighs> yeah, and um, it, you know, the the braces are nothing more than just the like external manifestation of JC 
of his queerness like they're, they're being different yeah, yeah. There, there wasn't a way to like show it in any other way because it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't if i mean if you think that it was a flop already it would have been a bigger flop if he had been you know a total screaming queen um so like that had to have been a choice to be like well we can't make him overtly gay so we'll give him braces instead you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah um i just thought that that was really interesting for a, a, a yeah. time um, and this, uh, uh, some other good, uh, call outs. I think that Tom Atkins at the beginning of this movie has some of the craziest lines that I've exactly. ever heard. Um, I, the one refer- self-referential one is, uh, when he walks into the crime scene and goes, what is this a homicide or a B movie? And I was like, well, kind of both. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> um, the other thing he says to the... <laughs> He says this to his deputy or the other cop that's investigating with him. Um, he says, like, am I, are we going to get this show on the road or am I going to have to play Poop Patrol with my nightstick? Oh, my God. Like, what? Jesus. <laughs> and I can only think that that is the um, kind of writing of Fred Decker just thinking about... Um, uh, like you said, Monster Squad and yeah. kind of his repertoire is like that kind of like coded language. Yeah. Um, I did think that was funny that Brad has, has a Bradster license plate. Bradster. Um, I felt bad for the one girl that has to have three different shoe-ins with the <laughs> French doors. I don't know if you remember this so or not. Ridiculous. <laughs> all she's trying to do is study it. Every time she tries to go study, there's something at the French doors. One time it's an alive cat. The next time the cat's dead, which apparently cynthia knew it was i think there's a there's got to be a cut scene where the cat dies because cynthia says like oh no we buried that cat and i was like what no that doesn't make any sense but uh and then the third time is where the zombie is at the door so this this poor girl is just trying to do her due diligence and 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 um and study and she's one of the only ones that gets uh kind of the worm treatment um i i have to say that the faculty had to have had some sort of um uh, homage to this movie. oh for sure he, he, rodriguez had to have seen night of the creeps and said like what if we put this in modern day high school because there are so many similarities on how they exactly. transfer the worms and how people get infected um and everything so <clears throat> but yeah i just thought that that was something um the, of course in a collegiate movie talking about fraternities we get the line it's all greek to me uh-huh. <laughs> so figure who would have thought <laughs> Oh, if you didn't, how many times I heard that when I was in Greece. Um, <laughs> I did like that Cynthia gives Brad the middle finger by using the jack in the box. Oh, uh, I, that's, parody, that's one of my like, favorite ways to do it. From? It's so good. <laughs> but that led me to believe I'm like, is this where that came from? Or uh, you, you know it, I mean? it might have been. Or I think that might have just been like, I don't think it came from this. I think that came from a Rat Pack movie. If I'm, if I'm not, oh. or not Rat okay. Pack, Brat Pack, pardon me. Um, let's see some trivia about the movie. Um, all the last names of main characters based on famous horror and sci-fi directors. So Chris Romero, go figure, uh, John Carpenter and Tobe and uh, Toby Hooper, uh, James Carpenter, Hooper, uh, David Cronenberg, Cynthia Cronenberg, James Cameron, detective Ray Cameron, John Landis, detective Landis, Sam Raimi, Sergeant Raimi, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's kind of fun. Uh, graffiti on the wall in the men's room where JC is, um, you know, taking a number two and also trying to not get possessed by a, a crazy slug. Uh, it reads go monster squad on there. That's kind of fun movie. The house, uh, the house mother is watching on TV is plan nine from outer space. Um, this is actually Tom Atkins's. It's his favorite movie that he's done, oh, which cool. I, which I think is really cool. Um, Corman university, the reference to the director, Roger Corman, of course. So, you know, it's, it's this is another one of those films that is just fun for horror fans to unpack 
um, yeah. for, for all the things that we just talked about, but also for like this kind of stuff and just all of it. I, I can see why it's so beloved. I just wish I hadn't waited so long to watch it. Yeah, um, I don't know if you caught the cameo, but the guy who is in the evidence locker is actually the guy from Gremlins. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, I did think that it was funny that he had a flamethrower like just sitting right there. <laughs> <I know. laughs> ready yeah. to go. <laughs> who, who doesn't have that, you know? Um, I think Brad needs to go see a stylist about toning his hair because that it. was from some very it yellow blonde hair. Awful, looked terrible. Um, because I'm sure that guy is a good looking guy, but that hair, man, oof, that was some rough stuff. Um, I, I did think I liked it's Miller time and he blows up the house. (laughs) Yes. It's so good. I thought that, oh, I don't know if anybody that has that kind of weird, like tryptophobia, um, kind of like holes Holes, thing. I don't know if they would get set off by that corner of worms. Cause that kind of freaked me out a little bit when they showed like the whole corner of the basement that. Um, was just like filled with the worms. God, it's so gross. Um, another movie that I think owes this movie a little bit is the the modern day sl- uh, Slither. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but that kind of is the same sort of yeah, idea sure. with the worms and everything. Um, but yeah, I just think, honestly, Night of the Creeps is just so underappreciated. I, I know a lot of people have seen it, but I know a lot of people, this is under their radar. Yeah. And I do think that this is a great mid-80s romp that doesn't overstay its welcome and actually has a lot of heart. So I think if you haven't seen Night of the Creeps, give it a watch. Uh, Maddie, do you have anything else that you want to talk about with Night of the Creeps? I'll, only to say that I've I've increased my rating throughout this this discussion. That's it. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> I, I gave it. Uh, I I did have it at a five and five point five, but I I think that's that's just that's too low. I, I'm giving it a six. Um, and uh, I said that the you know the aesthetics of the 1959 scenes were really incredible. Um, the emotion in this film is just evident throughout. I I just said it's a great watch. Yeah, um, I, I'm actually going to come up to it and also give it a six. Um, I said it's self-referential and silly where it needs to be, but actually has more of a ha- more heartfelt and touching movie lives just below the surface. Yeah. However, I wish the ending wasn't so abrupt. And God damn it, where is Day of the Creeps? Yeah, that movie. <laughs> for real. Th- this 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 whole thing could use some more love just sort of ongoing. Okay, well, Andrew, that sounds like two films it sounds like we've done the horror in movies we've done the horror in real life which means that we're just all about fraternities yeah so now we just we're coming back from hiatus we just got to remember everything now we go into a game is that correct i think so and i think we'll play hottie of the episode shantae you stay 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 so, folks, that was episode 82. God, Andrew, that's only 18 more episodes to 100, which is kind of crazy. Um, got to gar- start planning what 100 is going to be. I know. We're, we're going to get there. But try- it's going to be big. It, it's going to be something something really, really big and something different for us. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, we're going to close this one out with uh, a final game, as we always do. And our final our, game. Our OG game. OG, which is called Hot of the Episode, which is literally just where we tell you who we think is hot. That's all that it is. So, Andrew, tell me, who is your hottie of the episode? Honestly, I went back and forth a lot on this one. Okay. Because between Hell Knight and Night of the Creeps, there are a lot of cuties. Sure. Let's be honest yeah, here. I totally agree with you. Um, at the end of the day, though, I got to go with Peter. The, okay. uh, the president of the fraternity in Hell Knight. <laughs> 
played by Kevin Briefy. Uh, I just thought Peter and his uh, flouncy hair and his uh, he he's got the. He's I got knew the, you would choose thing. him. I knew it. I knew it when I was watching it. I said that's when he's going to choose. He's got um, what do you call it? He's just got that thing. I don't know. Yeah, he's I, got I, I get that. I get that. Um, so I chose Peter. So here's my choice. I I hope this is a surprise to you, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it won't be. My choice is JC. Totally. I knew it. <laughs> oh my god. I JC in a heartbeat. I would be with him no no matter what. That was. I just fell in love with JC. I couldn't help it. I just thought he was awesome. And he's a cutie. I will. I will give him that. So I, yeah. So I thought cute. That he's, it was he's funny that they, the way that I like it too. You know, I like little guys. Like he's like little. Yeah. And I like that. I just thought it was funny that the, he was the one that they gave like braces to and gave glasses to because I was like he's actually kind of cute. He's, so he's I don't cuter know. than he's cuter than Chris for God's sake. Chris <laughs> looks like he's just got like he's he's seen headlights all day long for God's sake. Um. <laughs> so listen, that was fun, Andrew. Our first episode back after hiatus. We're going into spooky season. Things couldn't be better. Woohoo! Yay! We thank you for listening to episode eighty-two and friends. Before we close out the episode, totally some housekeeping things. The first thing is this: um, we are a part. We are a part. I can't speak anymore. We are a part. We are a member of Dread Podcast Network from Dread Central. Um, there are other wonderful podcasts on this network that you should go check out, like Mick Garris, Kim and Ket, the Boulay Brothers, you name it. Some really great stuff on there that you should go have a look at. So head over to dreadcentral.com or just search for Dread uh, Podcast Network on any of the places where you listen to podcasts. You'll find all the great shows right there. And if you want to financially support Friday the 13th, we would really appreciate it. You don't have to. We'll, we'll always be free, no, Andrew, but we really do appreciate it. They have it. to. Tell them that they have to. Well, I mean, we're only asking for a dollar. So, I mean, if you thought of this last, what, two hours of conversation was worth a dollar, I think that you should become a patron on Patreon or buy merch at Friday13.com slash support or search for us on Patreon. Woo! Um, something cool that we are looking forward to is Andrew and I are going to be launching a bit of a series coming coming up soon. Uh, we've done a couple series in the past. Uh, our last one was Monsters Are Terrifying, that series, which we I, we both had a really good time with that. That was a lot of fun and i think it was our definitely listeners did an too. uh it was definitely an easier departure just like doing something a little lighter yeah than, everything is awful all around us all at once yeah <laughs> and it, it allowed us to go a little bit deeper into the genre and have some fun there so uh we're gonna do another one it's gonna be called horror around the globe um so look forward to that we'll be talking about horror films from different locales all around this crazy weird and fucked up earth that we live on so that's going to be Yeah, it gives us a chance to talk about some other places other than where we live. So. Yeah, right? <laughs> but yeah, and uh, finally, hey, you're looking at your phone right now. You're like, wondering how, how much more of these times are these guys going to go on? Are they well, done yet? Yeah, so in, in that time, why don't you go ahead and click back on your little podcast player. That's it. There you go. And then hit leave a review. Bingo. Leave a five-star review. Um, that really helps us in getting up on the algorithm and showing up on all these random lists that I see where they, they talk about queer horror and somehow we're not included. So that means yeah, you need to leave a review so that we show yeah. up on those things. But yeah, I think that about does it for episode 82 of Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. And as always, we encourage our listeners to get slayed.
Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.